Welcome to Darts in the Dark podcast. We talk about branding, marketing, communication, and sustainability. And through our conversations with leading voices throughout business and culture, we help shed light on how to move your audience to take meaningful action for your business and the planet. Thanks for tuning in. This is Darts in the Dark. My name is Casey Hogue, and today I'll be speaking with Will Nietzsche. He's the CEO and founder of IQ Bars, a plant-based brain and body nutrition bar. And I'm really excited to speak with him about the genesis of the company, the challenges along the way, and what he's looking forward to in the future. So please enjoy. All right, I'm here with Will Nitza from IQ Bars. Super excited to chat with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Really excited to speak with you. I love your brand. You have a really interesting story. And it looks like IQ bars are about to turn five. Is that correct? Uh, four. Started with a Kickstarter in January 2018. And then we actually fulfilled our first order mid-2018. So we've been in the marketplace pretty much exactly four years now. That's exciting. So love to hear a little bit about your backstory. I know you went to Harvard and you studied government and psychology. What's the path that got you to, to create IQ bars? Yeah, sure. So in college, I didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was not being pulled in any particular direction. Didn't enjoy any class I took for the first really full year. Candidly, I was I was enjoying the social uh, aspect of college as well. But yeah, so my sophomore year, I took a course called SLS Twenty, Science of Living Systems Twenty, which is a psychology intro course, and I just totally fell in love with the the discipline. And uh, it helped that, that this guy Dan Gilbert, who's now relatively well known, is just such a compelling, charismatic professor that I, he just I mean he was so good that I became obsessed with psychology. So that was the first course where I was like, wow, I actually, I enjoy going to class. Um, and so then I just took every psychology and neuro, and, and then I got into neuroscience, the, the more physiological side of, of the brain discipline. And so I took every psych and neuroscience class I could. And that was really what pulled me in. And then I, I worked for free for this Harvard Business School professor of organizational behavior, which is kind of the intersection of psychology and business. Because I was, I was also really interested in business. And, you know, at the time, startups had gotten were full-fledged cool. Startups had just gotten really cool at the time. And so I, I, I became really interested in startups and business. And so anyway, that, that was the background. And then I, I couldn't really figure out how to turn all that into a job because uh, I didn't want to become a psychologist or psychiatrist. I didn't want to go into academia. So I took a job in software by, by default, pretty much. Uh, I also knew I didn't want to go into finance and consulting. So all right, I'll, I'll try software. And I was a sales and marketing guy at a software startup in Boston and got really good at it, but was definitely not passionate about it. I was I was selling supply chain and op software to oil and gas companies. So I was flying to Houston and selling like $200,000 operation software. Wasn't that passionate about software, wasn't that passionate about oil and gas. Um, at the time, I got really into nutrition though, uh, for personal reasons. I just got obsessed with biohacking as like a concept kind of got big at that time too. And so did paleo and the whole food movement and Whole30 and all these these diets around that generally map to just more whole foods. And so I got just concurrent to me working that job. I got really obsessed with nutrition 
And then I read a book called Grain Brain, and that was like what really did it for me, which is basically like looking at the intersection of of nutrition and cognition. You know, the basic idea being what you eat today impacts how your brain works today. But also, if you eat that same thing for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, XYZ outcome happens with your brain. So it could be be Parkinson's, could be Alzheimer's, could be just garden variety cognitive decline, or none of those things. Like if you, if you, if you make the right nutritional choices. So that gave way to this concept of brain food. And then I started tinkering in my kitchen in Boston at nights and on weekends, trying to create brain food. And a year later, launched a Kickstarter. And that was really what kicked everything off for us. Was there an aha moment? Were you like sitting at your desk one day and something sort of clicked? Or was it sort of a long progression that got you to the to the idea to do the bars? It was a progression for sure. It was a progression. So I, I had cycled through a couple other ideas. I, I what I left out is that, like I always always entrepreneurial, at least in my mind I was. And so I was gonna do a drink that was like a gender specific drink where like cause like men and women need slightly different nutritional profiles. Women need more choline, for example, than men. And so I was like, huh, what if what if like there was a like a female drink and a male drink? And I, I just cycled through like ten of those. So it was a I don't know why exactly the brain food one really stuck. I think maybe because I thought it was highly feasible. I was like, okay, what, what can you create where you mash a bunch of nutrition, nutritionally dense things together? A bar. And, and sorry, before even I, I determined that, I said, okay, what also has a huge market? A multi-billion market grows year over year. And, and anyway, that all trickled down to like, okay, it should be a bar. It just became, it, it just in my mind was highly feasible. I was like, okay, big market, growing market, hole in the market that I could address. And I think I can feasibly do this like start to finish. Um, like I could create the product, I could create everything. And so just all those things align. And uh, so I guess at the very end, it was an aha, but it was very sequential to get there. I love your story of the, your background of psychology and then sort of getting into nutrition, sort of how all those dots started to connect. Could you talk me through the ingredients that you felt are interesting in the market? Uh, I hear terms like nootropics and adaptogens. And what are your thoughts on all those? Yeah, I mean, so, so at the outset, you have to decide, like, what are you going to be fundamentally? And for us, you know, if you're a brain food, quote unquote, you either want to be like a legitimate nootropic or you want to be a brain health play. And then even within those, you can be a food or you could be a nutraceutical or you could be like an outright like medicine. You definitely ne- never wanted to be a medicine. And then it, and then nutraceutical kind of like is synonymous with supplement. And we didn't really want to be a supplement or nutraceutical either. So from the, the get go, we're like, okay, we, we want to be a food. We want to be sold next to RX bar and Lara bar and Cliff bar. And then also that dichotomy of nootropic versus brain health. We want to do the brain health side. And actually we started you know, the most common nootropic, of course, is caffeine. No one, no one really thinks of it that way, but it's 100% the case, right? And it's, of course, obvious too. You, you drink coffee, your brain quite literally works better. You know, it's a stimulant. Um, so we actually put caffeine in our, our earliest bars and we're like, okay, we're going to get a physiological feedback loop. Like eat this, that happens, uh, which of course is a highly effective business model, right? There's a reason Red Bull owns a bunch of sports teams. They, they leverage that feedback 
feedback loop that keeps you coming back for more. The problem was people don't really want to consume, at least in our experience. I know there are other products that that are food-based products that have caffeine that have done well, but our experience, people just didn't want it. They were like, why is there caffeine? I want to take this at night. Or this would be great if it didn't have caffeine in it. And there's kind of this broader movement of people trying to cut back on caffeine too. So anyway, we, we removed it and we're like, we just want to be brain health. And then of course the question is, okay, what nutrients do you zero in on? And you can look at a ton of, of literature and research around what are what are the 10 or whatever, you know, compounds that have been shown to be good for your brain. And there's like curcumin and res- which is the uh, active compound in turmeric. There's resveratrol, which is the active compound in, in grapes, right? When sometimes people say drinking red wine is good for your heart and your brain and you know, resveratrol is what they're talking about. So you could put resveratrol, you could put yada, 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 yada. And what we, what I learned over just brute trial and error, you just can't, theoretical value has to meet practical value. And what I mean by practical value is all the considerations that are important, taste, texture, aroma, manufacturability, and a huge one being cost. So yeah, you could put curcumin and resveratrol in your bar, but it's going to be a $10 bar. Is anyone going to buy that at Walmart? No. Okay, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to be like a super niche bar for only wealthy people? That's that's not really interesting. So you have to just sort of have your ideal list and and these micro compromises until you get to a point where it's like, okay, cool. We can do vitamin E, we can do flavonoids, we can do lion's mane, we can do MCTs, yada, yada, yada. And these are our six and we can hit a great price point that can succeed in major retailers and online. And like, that's what we're going with. So it's just a very, there's so many variables you have to consider uh, to, to ultimately get you to the right end point. And flavor is a big thing too, right? Um, not only finding the proper ingredients to do what you want to do on the on the health side of things and on the nutrition side of things, but you also want to create a product line that is tasty and people like and can compete on on the shelf too, right? Yeah, I mean that's taste is king, as as they say. I mean that is very important, and and then it is always the most challenging when you're trying to be. You know, the other thing I, I haven't mentioned on the brain aspect is everything I was talking about was micronutritional, but really most people shop macronutrition first, meaning protein, fat, carbs. How much protein is in it, and what source, and then does it have high carbs, and more specifically within carbs, high sugar. Our products are all keto. You know, they're all basically have little to no sugar making something taste good with pretty much no sugar is extraordinarily tough, right? Where our palate is so accustomed to, you're right, like taste is taste is king. Um, we, we chose a challenging path, but I think we got to a really good place in it. Yeah, that's exciting. You know, you, you've gone through a lot um, figuring out your purpose and, and figuring out the brand. What would have been some of the big roadblocks or challenges that you faced? Oh man, I mean, so many. I, uh, every day is, I forget where I read this. Someone was like, entrepreneurship is just who can put out more fires or so, something to that effect. Because it's like every day there is there is a fire of some sort. Yeah, I mean, challenges are just chronic. Um, but like really big ones, big buckets of challenges. I think assembling a great team is really hard, extremely hard. Maybe the hardest thing there is because, you know, we're not a tech company. We're a a food company. We're a CPG company. And so it's not like Sergey Brin and Larry Page and you're starting this new new thing called Google and it's a tech product. It It can revolutionize the internet. 
I bet recruiting is not all that challenging. If you're starting a protein bar company, it's like, eh, you know, convincing someone like really top talent to quit their job and join you and, you know, work for probably below market rates and buy into the vision. It's just hard. It's just hard. And even if it wasn't, you get sort of hitting the center of the bullseye just on the right fit of the person and making good bets on people is is insanely hard in and of itself. You know, that's been a really big area of learning for me over the years. Um, and we've assembled like an incredible team, but it's it's been a bumpy road to get there. So I'd say that's a huge one. You know, finances is, is a really big one. A lot of folks who start, let's say, CPG companies, but I think more broadly any company, you know, they're not finance people. It's, you don't have a lot of accountants starting protein bar companies. Yeah. So financial literacy, knowing your burn, knowing A, your unit economics, but also B, what is the right amount of money to raise? How fast should we be burning it? Do we want to have chart a path for profitability? If so, why, you know, and how profitable? And it's just, there's so many ways to skin the cat financially that, and there's no obvious answer, by the way, right? So two years ago, everyone said, yeah, raise more, grow as fast as possible, growth at all costs, burn money. And then, and then in mid 2022, everyone, that model is like horrifically bad now. And the opposite model is good. So there's no, so it's like, if you're the entrepreneur and 10 people told you to do it one way two years ago and you're, and then you did it and you executed on it. And now they're like, oh, wait, 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 do the exact opposite. It's like, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's challenging, right? So, so finances is always, is always challenging. I don't know. I guess the third bucket I would say is like lifestyle, like just know, know what you're signing up for. It's all, all encompassing. It's all consuming. Everyone has like different burnout thresholds, but you have to manage your personal psychology and, and like fitness even. It, it pervades everything like physical fitness, mental fitness. How do you architect your lifestyle to withstand just repeated gut punches? <laughs> well, hopefully IQ bars um, help with that, you know, on a nutrition level. I think, you know, just as a business owner myself, I've definitely dealt with, with those challenges. People, finances, culture is a thing. How about brand building? Everything you have, your each of your platforms is pretty buttoned up. Your website looks great. The packaging looks awesome. Got some great social going on. Talk me through that part of it, right? So how have you gotten to such a good place? Honestly, like hired the right people. Jess, who wrote, so there's really, we're a tiny team. I mean, we only have six office employees. And so Jess, who's my wife, by the way, another hack, hire your, hire your wife or hire your husband. Incentives cannot be more aligned. So she, she and then Kara, who's our creative director, like those two are just great, great at what they do. So I would say that's like first and foremost, I don't actually do, I mean, I do do a lot of thinking around website and aesthetics and things like that. And I actually get into Adobe Illustrator and we'll work on design work a lot, probably be surprised at how much I do. Like the finance thing, there's so many directions you can go in terms of like branding, how you architect your website. My take, let's say one is pay someone a lot of money to just do it all. Like go to some ad agencies and say, hey, here's the general look, feel, yada, yada, I want. Here's 300 grand, go do it all. Like that's, that is a path. We did it all ourselves, And I think for better or worse, we did what I would call judicious copying. Basically, we're like, there are all these other brands, right? That did raise a ton of money, did hire branding agencies, and then have this output. 
And we know what's working because the market is speaking. Brands, some brands get bigger than others. And so what are they doing well? And let's cobble together like 10 of them and what, what aesthetics are working and then what site architecture is working, what tech stack is working, right? You can reverse engineer all of this. And then let's take literally the, the things we like most across all 10 of them and let's assemble a brand. And of course, it has to be coherent and make sense given who we are, you know, a brain and body nutrition company, right? So of course it has to pass that smell test at the end of the day, but don't reinvent the wheel, rather look at 10 wheels and take spokes, one spoke from each of them. I'm sure a lot of people would take exception to that and well, you need to test more and you need to do it. It's like, yeah, that's all fair and well in a theoretical vacuum. Uh, but if you need to get an 85% answer for 10, 15 grand rather than 300 grand, I'll take our strategy like all day long. So that's kind of how we did it. We, we we never try and reinvent the wheel. I think we judiciously, because that like the dirty secret of like any entrepreneurship is everything's been done. You're trying to do it better Everyone looks at what everyone's doing. And if you piece together the right Frankenstein model, that's all a, that's all a great brand is anyway. Yeah. I mean, in this day and age, you know, there's no wheels being reinvented. It's just the amalgamation, the combination of disparate technologies and designs and aesthetics and UI UX flows. I mean, the packaging looks great. The site is really well designed. So you've, you've done, you've, you've hired right and you know what you like, which I think is super important. Testing, learning and optimizing as you go. Talk to me about your consumer, your end customer. Who are you going after? Is there, was there been a discrepancy between who you thought was your customer and who is your actual customer? Have you learned from that over time? I think it's the latest numbers were like a 60-40 or a 57-43 or something like that split in favor of females. So slightly female weighted, although the the category is female weighted. So I actually don't think we over-index there gender-wise. And then women buy 70% of groceries, period, right, in, in this country. So I think there's always going to be that gravitational skew gender-wise. But yeah, so if I were to pick like one sort of avatar, quote unquote, it would be, you know, a woman age 25 to 55, nutritionally literate, cares about health and wellness, not looking to spend a ton of money, but also not looking for the cheapest option. So we're not an ultra premium brand. The word premium is so uh, amorphous you know, willing to invest in health and wellness, but also not trying to pay out her nose on it. And uh, married is an interesting one. So we do, it seems over-index on married, whatever that means. You know, we don't, we haven't taken a ton of actions based on that variable. Biggest market, California, second biggest, New York, third biggest, Boston. So mapping generally to big urban areas. Yeah. And then, and then cares about two things really just on the, to, to get down to like the unique selling proposition and, and, and nutritional piece, plant protein and low sugar slash low carb. Like those two things repeatedly. It's like, why do you buy us low sugar, low carb? Why do you buy us plant protein? Those come up time and time and time and time again. So it sounds like you got a pretty good sweet spot for the, the product market fit. Yeah. No, but I, also it's like, how do we reach, how do we reach new demos? Right. So how do we reach? How do we reach more men, for instance? Um, so to that point, uh, there's interesting ingredients sort of surfacing that people are interested in. You talked about the nootropics and adaptogens, and I keep hearing so much about lion's mane lately and, you know, all of these other products, mushroom-based. Are there any products sort of on the horizon that you're interested in, any sort of new ingredients? 
There are, there are, I won't get into the specifics because we were like actively working with them, but look, I think the adaptogens thing, so inclusive of that would be lion's mane, but also a ton of other, you know, cordyceps mushroom and rhodiola rosea, which is an herb. And, you know, there's just, it's a big, big category, but there's this open question of how mass marketizable and scalable are adaptogens like do people in sam's club want food with adaptogens the answer is not guaranteed to be yes there you know there are ingredients that came and came and went so chia seeds remember when chia seeds were in like literally everything now they're not <laughs> came, and, came and went and 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 there's 10 other examples of that so that that's that question with with adaptogens is like is it is it going to come and go and i think a little bit of hype is kind of dissipating on to, to be honest. So I think if that's like the thing, your thing, I would think hard about that. But, you know, I think more broadly, like we try to not wed ourselves to any one ingredient or, or even any one value proposition. Right. So keto is a big thing. And we, we rode tailwinds to keto. But like keto, who, who knows what's going to happen? I, I think you need to be able to like micro pivot, let's say keto into just low sugar. Right. So now people don't care about keto, but they care about low sugar. Great. Like still works. Product still works. Just reframe, like be be dynamic, be able to like micro pivot. I think that's one thing that to speak within our category. Right. Quest Bar was a massively successful hit. They didn't wed themselves to anything really but they were compliant with a lot of yeah just super high protein and low carb low sugar and it's like a lot of keto people ate them but they weren't ever like slapping keto in massive letters on anything and you know suburban moms ate them and so did bodybuilders and they were able to like thread that needle i actually don't think nerding out for lack of a better term too much on specific compounds is in a brand's best interest. I think looking more at like broad stroke, don't get me wrong, you want to ride the wave of, of nutritional trends, but don't become the wave, you know, like be able to pivot, be able to, hop, be able to wave hop. Yeah. And, and I think tracking back to what you were saying earlier, uh, I don't remember your phrasing, but basically whatever's working is what you should be leaning into, you know, perception versus reality or trends versus waves. If you find an ingredient that is that works and it ladders up to your brand mission, that seems to be a good direction to go, right? Uh, this is how I frame it. I, I haven't hear, heard other people frame it this way as much, but this is how I think about it. There's a there's a positive feedback loop. If you want a good product, it either has to have a positive feedback loop or an absence of a negative feedback loop. The positive feedback loop is Red Bull, right? You drink it, you feel it quite literally, physiologically, you're more alert, you're faster, and then you want that feeling again the next time. So you buy it again. That's the best. That's like the holy grail. But the second best, which is also pretty good, which is where we try to live is the absence of a negative feedback loop. In other words, if when you eat like a cliff bar, you feel like shit an hour later, because like you just jacked up your blood glucose and you're sitting at a desk, right? You're not actually rock climbing, in which case it would be probably it would be okay, you know, because you're going to burn all that, then that's a negative feedback loop. So we would say, well, we offer the absence of that. We have, we offer the absence of a, you know, it's like Athletic Brewing Co. Drink beer with the absence of a negative feedback loop. 
of a hangover. And so I think honestly, when you're talking about efficacy, a lot of it lives in the broad strokes, macronutritional world. So you, you can supplement your face off. None of that matters. None of it. If you don't have the, a body mass index that's in the right range, getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise, and then eating the right macronutritional diet, cut carbs, eat more fat and protein. That is so much more important than whether you took, you know, quercetin or whatever. Now, of course, do all that and supplement. Like, great. Like, you know, it depends on how hard you want to get it. You go on it. But I think a lot of people forget they'll get like five hours of sleep and then they'll take a bunch of supplements and they nerd out on it. It's like, well, yeah, that lack of sleep hurt you way more than the supplements helped you. It's the worst thing for you. Yeah, there's no silver bullet, but it is a combination of lifestyle and it's not easy. But having things to go to, again, supplement your lifestyle is is a really good thing. All right. So as we're wrapping up, I got a couple of quick fire questions for you. What's your definition of success? Hmm. See, I would say fulfillment. So I think a lot of people would say happiness. I, I don't actually, I optimize for fulfillment over happiness. Well, what makes you fulfilled? Feeling I'm, I'm working on something important. Mission, I guess, would be like a one word answer to that. And having the right personal relationships on the, on the just personal side, mainly my spouse, but also friends and family. Those two things, and I feel fulfilled for sure. All right. What's your favorite IQ bar flavor? Almond buttered chip. I have not had that flavor and I'm definitely going to try it out. Awesome, Will. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. This has been a, a great conversation. I love learning about what you've been up to in your brand. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Darts in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like, subscribe, and share our content. The goal of this podcast is to amplify the voices of businesses, organizations, and individuals enacting true change and impact. If you know someone you think would be a great guest on our show, please let us know. We're always looking for the next great conversation to share. Thank you.